The Internet plays such an integral role in so many aspects of our lives, it's only natural to consider expanding its role in medicine. This process is underway, with the first large-scale randomized clinical trial probing web-based hypertension interventions. How can we as clinicians adapt to new digital mechanisms for providing care? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest is Dr. Beverly Green from the Group Health Center for Health Studies in Seattle. Dr. Green is the lead investigator of research published in JAMA on innovative web-based interventions for patients with uncontrolled hypertension. Welcome, Dr. Green. Hello. We are discussing the evolving role of clinicians in hypertension care. Dr. Green, tell us the role that the pharmacists play in your research. The pharmacist was an important part of the success of the intervention. The pharmacist provided both proactive and reactive care for uncontrolled hypertension over the web. Are we putting the pharmacist in a position that is really like the physician's position? Well, one thing you must remember that this intervention was done in an integrated healthcare system that had a shared electronic medical record throughout, and the pharmacists and the physicians shared this record. So we considered the pharmacist to be a team member and not something peripheral to the practice. So simply stated, when the pharmacist reviewed the blood pressures from the patients, what would the pharmacist do? Would they actually write the prescriptions themselves, or would they discuss it with the physicians? What would they do? They would use their protocol and make changes, and it was all done electronically because we don't write prescriptions anymore. And so they could order, they could actually order the medications on the protocol themselves without consulting with the physician. The state of Washington has prescriptive authority. That means that if you write up a specific protocol for medications that most people would agree with are the proper medications and doses for conditions and you apply to your state board, you can get authority for the pharmacist to use those medications according to the protocol. And these do not have to be signed off by the physician? That's correct. Well, the question I'm sure coming to all of the listeners is, where's the liability? In our organization, it's an organizational liability, and of course this was research, so we had a data safety monitoring board, but we didn't find any safety concerns, but we were very careful with supervising our pharmacists. Actually, the pharmacists were supervised by myself, and I'm somewhat of a hypertension expert, and by other physicians. And we made it very clear that their care was supposed to relate to the hypertension protocols and not involve any clinical care. And what did you find in terms of the results with respect to the pharmacist's involvement? The patients that were randomized to the pharmacy group were almost two times as likely to have their blood pressure in control at the end of 12 months. Why do you think that is? I think that the pharmacist was the glue in a lot of good things that were already happening in our organization. Well, I don't know if you've heard of the chronic care model. No, please. The chronic care model is a new model developed by Ed Wagner, actually at our institution, to describe the processes that might be required to improve health care. And it's been tested and shown to improve the outcomes, healthcare outcomes for conditions such as diabetes 
in congestive heart failure and depression, but it's never been tested before our study in hypertension. The chronic care model has several basic domains, and one domain is evidence-based guidelines and decision support so that you have evidence-based care for those conditions that you're addressing. The second domain is the healthcare team and how it's designed and how you deliver that care for the conditions. The third domain is information systems so you can connect those systems together. And the fourth domain is the patient self-management and the tools that you provide for your patients to help them assist in their own care of their conditions because most of the care that they need occurs at home outside of office visits. And the last is the system itself, the healthcare system, and things it does to encourage good health care like HEDIS measurements and feedback and providing coverage for certain conditions that are favorable and community resources that might assist in patients in their own self-care. When, if at all, did the pharmacist directly speak to the patient's physicians about any medication changes or any protocols that they changed? The pharmacist would speak to the physicians if there was a change that was needed that was not on the protocol. And what have the pharmacists thought about this whole new process of having them take a proactive stance? The pharmacists were experienced clinical pharmacists, but they really enjoyed this study. I think we got response from each of them that this was the best experience that they've had during their career. Why? I think because they were given a specific role. Well, one, it was research. Two, they had a specific role that they could focus on, and they were able to interact with patients directly and not just count pills. They had an ongoing relationship with the patients and could also boost the patient's relationship with their physician. And They found that that focused time and the ability to really improve care in one area was very rewarding. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guest is Dr. Beverly Green from the Group Health Center for Health Studies in Seattle. We are discussing the evolving role of clinicians in hypertension care. Dr. Green, does the pharmacist's involvement bring any additional cost to the program? We haven't done our cost-effectiveness analyses yet, and we are planning to do them. We didn't find any changes in utilization, so having the pharmacist for this intervention didn't lead to less office visits, and it also did not increase hospital or decrease hospital visits. There was some increases in specialty visits in the uh, usual care group compared to the pharmacist group, but we don't know for sure why that was. Our study wasn't designed really to maximize on cost effectiveness because I think what you might want to do if you were to look at that, you would have to directly compare it to equal attention by a physician and see which was most cost effective. Did the patients enjoy dealing with the pharmacists? Well, we know that web communication significantly increased in both groups, the home blood pressure monitoring and web training group only, and the pharmacist group even more so compared to both the controls and the monitor and web training only group. However, also the patient-initiated emails 
significantly and dramatically increased, particularly in the pharmacist group. So not just the ones that the pharmacists were sending to the patients, but the ones that the patients started to thread themselves. Well, considering the results of your study, do you think that this might distance the patient from the physician in terms of their relationship? We were very careful to assure the patient that the pharmacist was working with their physician and that any clinical concerns were handled by the physician. We referred to the physician specifically at the beginning of the intervention, and any concerns that were outside of the protocol were addressed with the physician. The pharmacist was very sensitive to what the physician might recommend or suggest and was watching for those things, and sometimes asked for advice from our expert group when there were concerns about the physician advising things that weren't in the protocol, we helped them work with the physician closely. So the patient-physician relationship was always kept strong. Such a common complaint by patients is that the typical doctor-patient relationship is eroding. Do maneuvers like this, where using electronic systems, the Internet, by using pharmacists and just a, a plethora of other ways to treat diseases. Do you think that we're going towards a more impersonal relationship? I think with the cost of health care and the amount of resources we have, I think that physicians are pretty much tapped dry. And physicians, the point of resistance is that the physician should do everything and the physician can't do everything. And a lot of what happens in healthcare doesn't happen at the actual visit. It happens before, it happens after. And the way doctors are compensated is based on visits alone. So they don't have time for the pre and after care. And then if we want to maximize all the training that physicians have gotten, we've got to figure out how to use teams to make the physicians more effective. So I don't see it as decreasing the role of the physician, I see it as allowing them to do what they're best at and having other people help them do the things that they really don't need to do. Now, you brought up the idea of compensation and remuneration. How does this concept mesh with the idea of a fee-for-service payment plan? Not very well, because currently physicians are compensated for actual time with patients and diagnostic codes for those that time. Telephone encounters don't receive any special compensation by, by most methods, including Medicare, and there's no current mechanism to be compensated for sending a secure message to your patient. How does the web intervention correlate with the use of electronic medical records? There is a push to have more practices use electronic medical records because it allows for improved safety, improved communications, and it's believed that it will be cost-saving in the long run. And the patient-shared medical record is one step beyond that and not very many organizations that already have electronic medical records have that capacity, but there are a few large major players that do, like Harvard Pilgrim and Kaiser and other progressive organizations that are doing exactly the same thing as group health and encouraging patients to share in their care and are finding that the results are very positive. Clearly, this research reflects a a wonderful collaboration among a great number of medical professionals. Do you expect that this would be expanded to other ancillary care providers as well? 
I don't see any reason why it couldn't be. I see this just as an integrated approach, so it probably depends on the condition that you're trying to focus on or, in general, allowing physicians in certain instances to provide care more often this way because we think it'll be beneficial for that as well. In this case, for hypertension, it just so happens that we have good evidence, we have good guidelines, and the care is not that complicated, but I think providing web care in general is going to improve health care. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Beverly Green. We've been discussing the evolving role of clinicians in hypertension care. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill. And you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening. This is Dr. Aaron Carroll, Director of the Center of Health Policy and Professionalism Research in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.